right move yourself, never thinking of your future. You know, the sad thing is, that's too many people never really thinking about their future. Today is a red letter day. Because of today, the rest of your life can truly be the best of your life. Come on, because of what Jesus did on this day, 2,000 years ago, it truly is the red letter day of all red letter days. And I think it'd be appropriate for us. We give hand claps and ovations to all kinds of people, but I think it would be appropriate for us to stand together and to give our king just one great big celebration cheer and hand clap. Can you do that with me right now? Come on, let's just stand together. Let's just give our king a great big hand. Come on, let's thank you for the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. Amen, 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 amen. You may be seated. We have a very special guest with us today. Um, I believe this guest is about five days old. And his mama's here. Her name is Amy. And Amy McCorkle, can you just can just stand? We got a what's his first name? Hayden. Kate, he just come just stand up. I just show Kate enough. Come on, let's give Mama a great big hand. Hey man, little five year old, that's the way to do it. Make him a drug baby. Drug him to church. Man, five days old. She's bring him to church. We're so honored. God bless you, Amy. We love you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing little Kate to church today. It is a red letter day. Last Sunday, we had Palm Sunday, and, and we had a great experience as we talked about Christ as our king. And what Jesus came to do wasn't what people expected him to do, but he simply declared as he rode into that donkey that day that he was Hosanna. He was Hosanna, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And then we, on our Wednesday night service here, we had a kind of an early Monday, Thursday foot washing communion service, and it was a, a powerful experience in the adult service anyway. And and on that night, uh, the last night that Jesus would eat a meal with his friends, the very last, that, that night, the night before the, his, he would be crucified, uh, Jesus was doing what every good Jew would do, and that was to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. Because, see, it was 1,600 years before Christ that the promise that came to Abraham that God's children would be a people and they'd be a special people took place. For 400 years, for 400 years, they had been slaves in Egypt. God raised up a man by the name of Moses to bring deliverance. And on that Passover night, that Passover night, the Bible says that God required of them, if they wanted to see the firstborn in their household live, that they had to put the blood over the doorpost of their house and over the lintel of the door. And the death angel came that night and passed by. He passed over. That's where we get Passover from. And they left Egypt. They left Egypt as a free people. They were slaves, but because of God's grace and because of the blood of the Lamb, they left free. And the nation was born, and they celebrated it every year. Passover, they celebrated. And then on Friday night, this Friday night, we talked about it is finished. It's finished. Everything that Christ came to do, his mission, his purpose, his purpose, when he died on the cross, it was accomplished for you. It was the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his son for you. And Jesus being that sacrifice, perfect sacrifice, 
took your sin, took your failure, took everything, everything in our life. He bore it upon his back, fulfilling all the prophecies, all the prophecies that were spoken of his life. But then three days later, three days later, two days, two, three and a half, three on the Jewish calendar, they went to the tomb. And it was empty because he has risen. He's alive. He's alive today. Jesus is alive. The story that I'm going to read to you is found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. If you could stand with me this morning. And the title of my message is, He Still Moves Stones. He Still Moves Stones. Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, beginning with verse number 1. And the Bible says that when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Now what they were doing is they were, they were doing the same thing that many of us would do when we would go to leave flowers at a gravesite. It was very common in Jewish practice to do this. And, and the Bible says very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And as they entered the tomb, listen, and they went and they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and had not seen them, they did not believe her. Father, I pray that you'll add your blessing to the reading of the word and give us ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Everyone here this morning should have a little, have a stone, have a stone like this. Everyone here got a stone? If you don't have a stone, could you just lift your hand up? You don't have, we've got some right back here. We've got a couple of people. We've got a whole group of people up here in the front. All right, Kip's going to come and he's going to hand it. Hopefully you got enough stones there. All right, everyone needs to have a stone. I want you to take that stone you got in your hand. You can just keep your hand up. They're going to bring a stone to you. They're, they're on their way. But you take this stone, I want you to hold this stone just for a moment. And just think about the stone. Think about that your stone is probably different than your neighbor's stone. Isn't that right? Uh, some of you, I have a smooth stone, but some of you have stones that we have right out here in our yard someplace, and it's a little more jagged. Right? It's got different shape to it. It's got a little, little different feel to it, a little different texture, a little different color. And the stones that I'm going to talk about tonight, uh, this morning are spiritual stones. Spiritual stones. Uh, we're going to look at a natural illustration and make a spiritual point today. When these women went to the tomb, there was a large stone. It was a huge stone. And this stone blocked this this stone was put in place to keep Jesus' body where it was supposed to be in the grave. 
That's why it was there. Now, this stone, this particular tomb that's right here today, some people actually believe was the, was the, the grave place or the tomb that Jesus was buried. Whether it is or not, that, that, that doesn't really matter to me. The fact is, this is a tomb that was very similar to the kind of tomb that Jesus would have been placed in. Jesus was not a wealthy man, regardless of what some people try to teach. Jesus said, I have no place to even lay my head. Jesus would have literally died and been buried in a pauper's grave. Just kind of a little grave, a little marking on it maybe, but it would have been a pauper's grave. It would not have been a a tomb like this. This tomb was reserved for the wealthy. You had to have some money to own a tomb like this. And Jesus, being king, being royalty, being God himself, had a very close friend on this earth. His name was Joseph of Arimathea. And Joseph of Arimathea felt like this God that he served, this Jesus that he served, was worthy of a king's burial, a wealthy man's burial. And he went and bought this tomb. He actually owned this tomb, and he went and gave it to Jesus' family to bury him. Very fascinating, because that's exactly what the Scripture said would happen to him. That's exactly what the Scripture said would happen to Jesus. Jesus, in this tomb, in this tomb... When the women went to find him, the stone had already been rolled away. The stone had already been rolled away. You see, the fact is these women realized something on their way to the tomb, that it would be impossible for them to move the stone on their own. That's a big stone. Now, it was in a little kind of like a ravine where they would roll it up and down, but the fact is two women, no matter, I mean, probably ten women couldn't have moved that stone on their own. It was sealed shut. There was no way for them to be able to move the stone. This stone that we hold in our hand represents potential stones that block us from the life that God has called us to. Jesus said this, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. But there's a problem. There's a block. There's a potential block in your life. He's called a thief. He's called a robber. He's called a stealer. His name is Satan. He's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's come to put roadblocks in your way. He's, he's come to put, bring things into your life that hinder you, that keep you from experiencing the resurrection power of Christ. Jesus came for this purpose, the Bible says, to destroy the works of the evil one. You see, the stone in your life And the stone of my life might be different. Just like every person's stone that they're holding today is a little bit different. The potential trials and struggles and difficulties or abuse or abandonment or debt or unemployment or disease or whatever you are facing in your life that's keeping you from experiencing what God has for you is different. James says it like this. Don't be caught off guard. Don't think it's strange that you have different kinds of trials in your life. Trials, struggles, things that potentially block you from experiencing everything that God wants you to be. Everything that God has for your life. You see, today the stone on your own is impossible to move. In my life and your life, God allows things to come into our life that are impossible to move on our own. But with Him are possible. So although it might be impossible for you to make changes, although it might be impossible for you to fix your problem, although it might be impossible for you to seemingly restore relationship, there is a God that is able to make the impossible possible for those who believe. 
Jesus, when he rose from the dead, that day, that day when that stone was removed, listen, when that stone, however it happened, earthquake, angels, the Bible says, you know, those things took place. But whenever that stone was removed, that stone wasn't removed for Jesus. That stone was removed for you. Jesus didn't need, Jesus didn't need that stone to be rolled away in order for him to leave that tomb. As a matter of fact, Jesus could have Star Trekked it. You remember the old Star Trek where they vaporized him and they kind of transported him? Jesus could have just walked right through that wall. Jesus didn't need that stone to be removed to walk out of that tomb. The fact is Jesus removed that stone just for you so that you could see that the tomb is empty. That that tomb that they placed Jesus' body in, that tomb is empty. See, the fact is today, here's the deal. The fact is today, you can look at all the religions of the world. You can look at all the ideologies and all the philosophies and all the things that people believe. And they came from a founder. And usually those founders are really revealed. I mean, they're revered. They're really, really revered. They're held in high esteem. I've always said all the religions of the face of the world are kind of like this. It's kind of like a bottle of water. You know, all these bottle of waters, they kind of look the same. I mean, all the world religions, you know, their leaders are, they seem to be good people and they have some good teachings and they have a lot of good things. But the fact is, one, only one of them is pure water. Only one of them. The rest of them have poison in them. And how do you know which one is the pure bottle of water? How do you know today? Well, here's the deal. You can go to the tomb of Muhammad. And you can go to that tomb and you were to call out to his bones. You were to say, Muhammad, are your bones here? And his bones would cry out, I'm here. You can go to the, the place where Moses is buried. Although we don't know where Moses is buried. You could go to the place that the Jews considered to be their greatest prophet, their greatest leader. The, the, this, this man almost like God. This man who saw God face to face. You can go, if you can find where his bones are, you can say, Moses, are your bones here? And his bones would cry out, I'm here, I'm here. You could go to the, to the, to the graveside, to the, to the place where Buddha is buried, and you could say, hey, Buddha, are your bones here? And his bones would cry out, I'm here. But when you go to the tomb of Jesus, and you call out for his bones, his bones say, hey, I'm not here. As a matter of fact, I'm not dead. I'm alive. I'm risen. Just as I said. See, that's what the tomb, that's what the stones being rolled away represents to you and I. I want to talk about five stones potential in our life that block the goodness of God, that block the grace of God, that block us from receiving and becoming what God has created to be. The first stone that I want to talk to you about is the stone of loneliness. The stone of loneliness. That song that I played as an intro for this sermon this morning is called Owner of a Lonely Heart. Just Google sometime all the songs out there that have the word lonely or are themed about loneliness. The Beatles wrote a really famous song. Some of you still kind of remember the Beatles. Some of you, you know, you heard about the Beatles. But they actually wrote a song called All the Lonely People. All the Lonely People. And it says, I look at all the lonely people. I look at all the lonely people. Ella McGarvey, she died in a church and was buried alone with her name. Nobody came. Nobody came. Wiping the dirt from her hands as he walks from her grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people. All the lonely people. Maybe you felt alone in your life. 
David felt it at one moment in his life. In Psalms 22, David actually cried out, My God, my God, why is this happening to me? My God, where are you at? Maybe you've experienced that in your life. Things have been really difficult and really hard, and you're wondering, God, where are you? And you feel like you're all alone. You feel like, I mean, I, where are you, God? Why is this happening? That sense of loneliness in people's lives caused them to do all kinds of things. It caused that sense of loneliness or emptiness. That sense of loneliness can cause people to go places that they shouldn't go. Cause them to hang out with people that they shouldn't hang out with. Cause them to end up in the wrong beds that they shouldn't end up in. I mean, that sense of loneliness has a potential to infect us all. I, I went to Disney not too long ago, and I was walking around the park, and what I noticed is that everybody was looking down at the ground. No, they weren't looking at the ground. You know what they were looking at? They were looking at their cell phone. Isn't that right? If you have one of these... Uh, smartphones and you've experienced this if you own one and you have a little bit different apps but you'll find yourself you have it in your car and you're like you're picking it up every 10 seconds like i mean how much information how many people can facebook you from the last time you looked at your phone to the next time that you look at your phone uh, you know I, I do remember the day when the only mail you could get was snail mail i actually remember that don't get too much the only snail mail i get now are advertisements or somebody trying to get me to buy something but but i remember those days I mean, now because of email and because of your smartphone, I mean, you have instant access. And, and so you got a little setup so that every time an email pops through, you get a little vibrate or a little buzz. Or every time somebody Twitters or Facebooks or says something, or you're just checking it out. And you, what, what is that? What is that? There's something inside of us that has a sense of constant need to be entertained because we don't want to be left alone. We don't want to be left alone. And Jesus said, listen, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The, the second stone that we have to deal with potentially in our life is the stone of doubt, the stone of unbelief. Listen, it's not just the atheist. I mean, you know, people that don't believe in God, yeah, they have doubt. But I got it. That's what I believe about atheists. When they die, they're going to know better. <laughs> it's just the fact is, is that there is a God. All of creation declares it. I mean, how in the world could anyone believe that you came from nothing? No matter how scientific they try to sound and how, you know, how many kind of rational explanations they get, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. But not just to the guy that says he doesn't believe, but what about you? There was a guy named Thomas. He, he actually has gone down for 2,000 years with this name, Doubting Thomas, because he really didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. This is what Doubting Thomas. For three years, he ate almost every meal with Jesus. For three years, he went to almost every single place that Jesus went to. For three years, he saw the miracles. He saw people's blinded eyes open. Uh, he saw people who had been dead raised to life. Uh, he, he saw people who were like this Mary Magdalene who was possessed. Her mind was crazy. She was out of control. He saw her instantly healed. I mean, for three years, he saw incredible things. And the Bible says... The Bible says that after Jesus rose from the dead and the women went to tell Thomas and the disciples that he was alive, they'd seen him, he said, I don't believe it. I don't believe my future can be any different. I don't believe my reality can change. I don't believe my marriage can be restored. I don't believe my husband can change. Uh, you, you, know, you would never quite maybe say it like that, but something in your heart has a hard time really believing that whatever that is can really change in your life. And you find yourself stuck and the root of it is doubt it's unbelief but here's what god's called you to do god's called you to simply believe 
God's called you to simply believe. And so we have this stone of doubt. But Jesus said, all things are possible to them that believe. He's able to make the impossible possible. He's able to remove the doubt from your life. Third stone this morning that I want to talk about is the stone of guilt. The stone of guilt. All have sinned. Every person has sinned in this room. And the problem with human failure and the human condition is that when we mess up, when we mess up, it's really hard for us to forget it. And if maybe you forget it, I guarantee if you're a parent, your kids won't forget it. <laughs> if you're a parent, you know that. Your kids, I mean, my kids are like, my boys are bringing up like, Dad, you remember you said that? I'm like, nah, I never said that. There's no way. Oh, yeah, uh, you said that. I, I heard you say that. You did that. I was, I remember. I'm like, God, I can't remember that. It happens to me all the time. People will quote me. People will say, Pastor, you said this. I'm like, no way. I never said that. <laughs> I deny that I ever said that. No, I don't. Listen, it, there's something about the human mind that we have a very difficult time, not only forgiving others, but generally we have a very difficult time forgiving ourselves. We've messed up, man. We've done wrong. We, you know, we've committed this sin or committed that act. And we walk around with this sense of guilt. And, and, the, and the guilt that people carry, they try to mask it. People try to mask it. They try to drink it away. They, you know, they try to they, they try to be good. A lot of people carry this guilt as well. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn I'm gonna get a new leaf new new lease on life. I'm gonna turn a new leaf. I'm gonna go volunteer and help this person and try to be nice. And they try to be good. They try to change themselves. But it still doesn't alleviate the problem of guilt and of sin. And a lot of people just try to be religious. They you know it's I'm gonna be I'm gonna go to church and. You know, I'm going to get baptized, or I'm going to take communion, or, you know, I'm going to do, I'll put a couple bucks in the offering plate. And they're, they're trying to appease this guilt, but it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The way that your guilt is removed is by simply believing that God not only wants to forgive you, but will forgive you if you turn from what you're doing and ask Him. It's that simple. A friend of mine, this last week, the friend of mine told me a really interesting story. He said he heard this testimony. He said that a man had one of these, you know, near-death experiences, they call it, you know, kind of out of body. And, and he'd had a terrible car accident, and they'd had him in the ambulance, and he was on his way to the hospital. And on the way to the hospital, he knew he was dying. And he was reflecting on his life, and he was thinking about it. And all of a sudden, he said he heard a voice inside of his ears. He's heard a voice inside of his head, and it said, say the Lord's Prayer. And so he just immediately in his mind, and his heart, he said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he said, after he prayed that, he immediately died. He said, he immediately, after he prayed that prayer in his mind and his heart, he died. And listen, I, I, I just believe this. I happen to believe that people really have these kinds of experiences. There's a book written a couple of years ago called Heaven is Real about a little four-year-old boy that went into heaven. I read the book. I'm like, yeah, I believe it. Makes sense to me. Sounds like to me. I mean, when I read the Bible and I see the experience and the things the Bible talks about heaven, it seems to make sense. I, I don't have any problem believing this. And he was standing before Jesus, and he said Jesus was looking at him right in the face. He said Jesus was looking at him right in the face. And, and he was like, Jesus, Why? And he just, he sensed this overwhelming love. He was just feeling this love from Jesus. And Jesus, I mean, how, how, how can you love me? I've screwed up so bad. I mean, so many mistakes. I don't understand. And Jesus said, the moment you ask me to forgive you, 
I did. The moment he asked Jesus to forgive him, he forgave him. The moment. You see, the fact is, the moment we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all wrongdoing. And all the believers in the room said, Amen. Come on. It's instant. It's instant purity. But it's not necessarily instant maturity. You don't just all of a sudden become this super Christian. No, 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 no. A process of what God's going to work in your life. But your guilt is forgiven. I thank God for the grace of God. I'm singing five times this weekend this song about His grace. I'm like, listen, every time I sing it, I'm still overwhelmed by His grace that saved a wretch like me and keeps saving a wretch like me. His grace is an amazing thing. His grace is an amazing thing. Before you belong, you must believe that He alone can take care of the guilt problem in your life. The fourth stone this morning is the stone of weakness. Paul understood this. In Romans, Paul talks about the struggle that he had with his flesh. He said, I don't understand me. He goes, the things that I shouldn't do are the things that I do do. I don't understand this weakness. Uh, To the church of Corinth, Paul is writing out, he calls it a thorn in his flesh. He's like, God, God, please take this away. And God just simply speaks to him and says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. His grace. He wrote to the church at Corinth. He says, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. I mean, there's some people that really think, you know, they're all that and they're really strong. I was thinking about this guy, Lance Armstrong. You know, I mean... You know, he's all real famous now in a bad way. He was famous before, but now he's famous in a bad way. And you know, one of his biggest issues is that he couldn't admit that he was weak. I don't know. This, I was thinking about, I don't care how many steroids you pumped into my body, I would never be able to win one Tour de France. Never happened, right? I mean, this guy didn't, uh, listen, this guy didn't just win one Tour de France. He won seven of them. And I'll bet you, I just got kind of a sneaking suspicion that he was a really good bike rider even before he started, you know, Superman, whatever he was doing, even before. But he could never admit that he made a mistake. He could never admit. He lied to grand juries. He lied to his friends. He got people in trouble. He was always trying to cover up his weakness. And now everybody knows. <laughs> Listen, if you conceal it, if you try to cover it up, God says he'll expose it. He'll expose it. See, the way that God deals with us is He gives us a chance just to admit, God, I'm powerless. I can't change this. God, you know, if you knew how many, I I just remember there's things in my life in the past that I had, and even today, things in my life I tried to overcome, and I realized, listen, I can't do it. My thoughts, my mind, battling, even today I'm battling all these things. I want everything to be perfect for you. I want the service. I want the music. I want the greeting. I want the parking. And I just, I went into my office and said, God, I'm not in control here. I'm powerless to change things. My wife said, don't think of anything needs to be fixed today. Don't think about it. Just get through and we'll worry about it tomorrow. Because there's nothing I can do about it. But that's our human tendency. Our human tendency is to want to control and not admit that we're weak. And the fact is, is that all of us are weak. All of us are prone to addictions. All of us are prone to anger. All of us are prone to every person in this room. And the moment that you think you're not, you know you're in trouble. We are simply dependent. 
We are dependent upon the grace of God. And I know people that think they aren't. I know people dislike Lance. I've known many people. But the fact is deep inside, there's a great need in their life. There's a great weakness in their life. And everyone has it. A family member that goes sideways, a sickness in your body, an addiction that you can't overcome, a, a bill that you can't pay. Last week, a lady came to our church. And she had $5 in her pocket. Two weeks ago, she had $5 in her pocket. She said, there was no way, there was no way that I could pay my cell phone bill. It was $124. She's only been to the church twice. And I don't even know where she is with the Lord. She said, but something inside of me said, put my last $5 in the offering bucket. She said, she put her last $5 in the offering bucket. And as she said, as she left the church, and I prayed a blessing of everybody. She said, as she left the church, she said, this text popped up on her cell phone. It was a mobile P, uh, uh, mobile uh, PCS mobile phone and and it uh, Metro PCS or Metro PCS and it popped up and it said your bill has been paid $124. And she's like how did that happen? She calls her sister. Did you pay my bill? Nope. She doesn't have any idea how her bill got paid. I'm like, like what she did. She came to a place and said God there's nothing else I can do so I'm just going to give everything God. And you know what God did? God worked a miracle on her behalf. Now, I'm not going to say God's going to do that for you because I don't. God works in all of our lives differently. But listen to me today. God likes to take the weak things in our life and bring us to a place to realize that we're totally dependent upon Him. Totally. We need Him. You need Him. I need Him today. I can't do this. I cannot do what I'm doing in my life. I can't do it. I can't live the kind of life that God's asked me to live without His grace. The fifth stone. The fifth stone is the stone of death. This is one we don't like to talk about, we don't like to think about, but this is the one, this is the one that's going to happen to all of us. The Bible says, it is appointed unto a person, unto a man, once to die, and after that, the judgment. This stone is inescapable. Every person in this room will experience this stone. I read some statistics. Uh, it said, listen, it said, the odds that you will eventually die in a car crash are one to 125. <laughs> now, the way I drive, that makes me a little nervous today, but we're not going to go there. The chance of you dying in a fire is 1 in 4 million. Oh, I like those odds a little better, okay? But the odds of you dying are 1 to 1. <laughs> the odds of you dying are 1 to 1. Death is inescapable. Every person that's ever been born in times past... <laughs> Every person that's born today is going to face this. Going to come to grips with it face to face. Laura Youssef's mother passed away just a couple of weeks ago. And I remember uh, we had come, my wife and I had come, and we were standing by the bed with the Quigley family. We're all standing there. And, and I remember mom, you know, we were praying over. And you could tell she was still, even at the end, she was still cognizant that there was someone in the room. And. And, and the family was talking to her, and we prayed over her. And you know, when you're in that kind of that final moment, you just never kind of know how long they're going to live for. And 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 so we left. My wife and I left. Maybe ten minutes after we left, she went home to be with the barber. Went home to be with the Lord. The Lord calls me on the phone. She says, "Pastor, Mom just passed." And so my wife and I immediately turned back around and we went back. And, and before, when when Barbara was still alive, you know, she was breathing. And her, her mouth was closed. And although her eyes were closed, she could still kind of flinch them a little bit. She knew that we were in the room. You could tell that. And, and 
letting all the hurt, her body had, had experienced the ravaging of cancer and, and, and the drugs that would do that. She still had color in her skin and, and her flesh, you know, still had a laxidity to it. And the moment she breathed her last breath, everything changed. I've seen this so many times now, you know, and just the position I'm in, but I've been in rooms where people have gone home and they breathe their last breath, and this is what happens every time. You breathe your last breath, and this is what you do. You go from having your mouth shut to whenever your life leaves you, you just, you die like this, mouth open wide. Every person, you're going to die just like your mouth is going to be wide open when you die. You just, your life just goes right out of you. And then everything instantly changes, color in your skin, you know, it just changes, and you start to get stiff really quick, that's the reality for all of us. And here's the deal. We face eternity one of two ways. We, we face eternity knowing that the stone's been rolled away from our life, or we face eternity not knowing that the stone's been rolled away. One week ago, our children's pastor's father passed away. He was 84 years of age. He was 84 years of age, and he didn't believe that God could forgive him. He didn't believe it. Pastor Dan would tell me, he said they would have lunch, and he would try to talk to him about Christ and about his eternity. He would say, Dan, you don't understand. I've messed up too bad. I've made too many sins. I've, God, there's no way God could ever forgive me. He would say those kinds of things. There's no way I can ever be forgiven. If you only knew, if you only knew, I'm too bad. I'm too far gone. And Dan said, no, Dad, you don't understand. God will forgive you no matter what you've done. When he passed away, when he passed away, Dan called me this last week. He actually called me after the Friday night service, after Good Friday. And he said, that was such a hard service for me because I realized that God made available everything for my dad and my dad could never believe. My dad could never believe. And he was crying. Pastor Dan was just crying on the phone. His heart was just, he goes, I just, if I could just, I just want to tell him just one more time, dad, just one more time. Because see, here's the deal. You spend eternity with God or you spend eternity separated from God. I mean, it's just that really clear and simple. There's not like, you know, this middle place. We go to blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. It's with God for eternity. Jesus said that. Jesus said. Jesus said that. The thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. Jesus, he just looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, whoever you are, whatever this means, I want to be with you when you die. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus talked about a man, a rich man. And it wasn't because he was rich. It was just because he denied the reality of God's power in his life. And when he died, the Bible says that he went to a place called hell, the place of separation from God for eternity. It was a place of torment. Two paths, two paths. The pathway to hell is broad. When I was a young man, there was a really famous band. It was called, they're called ACDC, and they're still really popular, I think. And they got the song entitled, I'm on the highway to hell. I'm on the highway to hell. And that's the kind of life. They lived a hellish life. They did. They, those boys lived a hellish life. The lead singer, that Bon Scott, he died. And he died in hellish condition, overdosing drugs. It was a hellish way to live. And Jesus said that pathway to hell is broad and it's easy. And a lot of people find it. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life, but it's a narrow path. Because you have to simply believe that he's come to remove the stone from your life. But what does it require of you? What does it require of you? It requires that you surrender. It requires that you surrender. Paul the Apostle said this is what's going to happen. When you surrender your life, his power is going to come in you. And what was once impossible for you will now become possible. 
It was impossible for you to deal with the loneliness. It was impossible for you to deal maybe with the doubt. It was impossible for you to deal with your weakness. It's impossible. You don't even want to think about death. It's off in the future. Paul the Apostle said it like this in Romans chapter 8. If that same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, if he comes and lives in your body, if he comes and lives in your body, through his spirit that lives in you, you will be changed. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He will strengthen. He will energize. He will change you. And that's what this is all about. It's all about the surrendered life. How do you surrender your life? You've got to look to Jesus. You've got to look to Jesus. You've got to follow the example that he laid out for us. There's a famous uh, hip-hop star. His name was Lecrae. And uh, Lecrae is going to share his story about how he surrendered his life to Jesus. I want you to watch this now. When Lecrae was a small child, his father abandoned him and his mother. I wrestled with a sense of self-worth and, and, and am I even valuable uh, because my dad decided, you know, drugs would be better than hanging out with his own son or, or, or staying with me. He found a sense of belonging in the hip-hop culture on the streets. My uncles were young and um, wrapped up in the streets and, you know, gangs and drugs and, and just promiscuous and I idolized it. It was a, I mean, it was just a, I wanted to be the gang member my uncle was. I wanted every tattoo he had. You know, I saw my first gun and all these different things and I was like, man, this, this must be what it means to be a man. And I'm just sitting on their laps soaking all this stuff in like, wow, you know, and so I was like, you know, a child of rap and hip hop, just seeing this world come up around me. In his teens, Lecrae realized something was still missing. I knew my ways were unfulfilling. You know, I chased power, I chased pleasure, I chased possessions, I chased um, just something satisfying. And I knew I kept getting let down. I knew it was, it was insanity and I was never going to find fulfillment, but I didn't know what else to look for. He kept a Bible in his car as a good luck charm. One night, police caught him trespassing and in possession of drugs. He was cuffed and sat in the police car waiting to go to jail. And the police officer goes to my car and he saw the Bible and he came back to the police car and he said, uh, son, you got a Bible in your car. And I said, yes, sir. He said, you know, you know what that Bible's about? And I was like, I need to. And uh, he said, well, you know what, I'm, today I'm going to let you go because I want you to get into that Bible and I want you to start living it. And that really did something to me and that really, that really rocked me and I, I didn't want to get in any kind of trouble like that again. He joined some friends at a Christian conference where he heard what Jesus did for him on the cross. And he talked about Jesus, you know, carrying his cross on the mount on, on Golgotha and, and, um, and just the, the, the turmoil and the pain that Jesus went through, that Jesus would take all that on his own back, floored me. And I said, I, I, I don't want to live like this anymore. And, um, and I just bowed out and said, Jesus, I'm sorry, and just broke down crying. For a year, Lecrae walked a line between college partier and committed Christian. His life was spinning out of control, and he knew it. Just cried out to the Lord one day. I said, God, I feel like um, I'm going to kill myself or kill somebody. And I said, please, just, just stop me before it gets to that point. I said, stop me. Do whatever you got to do. Just don't kill me. He was finally stopped in a massive car accident that left him evaluating his double life. I came out without a scratch. You know, my car had flipped over, it was dented in, damaged up, and here I am without a scratch on me. And I said, okay, God, I need to, I need to change. 
Later that night, he gave his life completely over to God. Uh, I was radically changed. To realize that I had been living a lie, to realize that I was unsatisfied and I would never be satisfied until I came to Jesus was so revolutionary for me that I wanted everyone to taste it. I wanted everyone to see how awesome God was. When the cray was Can you leave the lights off just for a moment here? He, he wanted to belong, and he tried all kinds of things to fill that void in his life. He even tried God. He tried God, but he walked the line. Kind of try to play the middle, try to be on both sides. It doesn't work. It never works. God wants all of you. Here's the promise. If you give him all of you, you'll get all of him. Isaiah chapter 43 says it like this. I love this verse. It says, but now, this is God's message that he wants you to hear. God who made you in the first place, Eugene. The one who started you, Israel. Don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called you by my name. You are mine. You're mine. And when you're over your head, I'll be there with you. And when you're in rough waters, you will not go down. And when you're, being, when you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. <laughs> he paid a huge price for you. They just want you to surrender, want you to yield, want you to give everything to him. Want you to give it. Listen, you're a believer today and you're wrestling with addictions, you're wrestling with anger, you're wrestling with all kinds of stuff. And listen, you're just saying, I want you to surrender it. I want you to give it completely to me. If you today you're not in right relationship with God. And you maybe, you know, you're trying to you're out here and, and maybe you came today and you weren't even sure what to expect, I want you to know He's your creator. And He loved you. And it cost him everything. And he did it. He did it just for you. If you were the only person on the planet, Christ would have did exactly what he did. He would have allowed you to know him to a cross. He would have allowed you to mock him. He would have allowed you to beat him. And you know what he did? Because it was your sin and my sin that put Christ on that cross. But see, Jesus didn't stay on the cross. And when they took his body down and they put him into a tomb, he didn't stay in that tomb. See, the stone was rolled away to show the whole world that he's alive. And everything he said he came to do, he did just for you. How do I know? How do I know today? How do I know today? You know how I know? Because he's changed my life. I look out in this room and I see all kinds of people and have all kinds of backgrounds. I love City Church. I love the diversity of our church. I, I just love where God's placed us right here in Sanford. I'm so grateful to the Lord. So grateful. And over the years, I've met so many people. And I've seen so many people encounter this Christ that's changed their life. His resurrection power and spirit came to their hearts. And tonight it's available. Or this morning it's available for you. It's available for you. I want you to bow your heads. God's knocking on the door of your heart. There was a man that lived a long time ago. His name was Joshua. He was the protege to, to Moses. And he stood before the people after, after Moses had died. And, and he was challenging the people. He was challenging the next generation. And he says, listen, but if serving the Lord, if surrendering your, your life to the Lord doesn't seem right for you, then choose for yourself this day 
who you'll serve. Whether the gods of the ancestors that, that served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, it was land you're now living. But as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's a choice. The surrender moment is a choice. He did everything. He's paid everything. He's laid it out the pathway. He's laid out the plan. And now he's simply laying it out before you. Choose today. Choose the surrender life. You're not on your own. You're not doing this by your own power. You see, the moment you make the choice and you ask him to come into your life and you surrender and you confess that you're no longer in control and, and you admit that you're powerless and you believe that Jesus did everything that he said, I believe that. I believe the moment you do that and you begin to confess and ask him to forgive you, that moment he'll forgive. That moment his spirit and power will come and remove the stone from your life. And you're here right now. And I don't want to miss this opportunity. Uh, listen, it, you don't know next week. You don't know next month. I want to give you this opportunity today. Today is the day to surrender to Christ. You're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. I mean, you've never really fully surrendered at all. And you're here today and you know that God's knocking on the door of your heart. And he said, listen, I want you, son, daughter, man, woman, I want you to come on home. I want to give you everything. I want to give you every good gift that I have for you. But you've got to choose today. When I count to three, if that's you today, you've never surrendered your life fully to Christ, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Right now in this room. Come on. I see that hand over there. I see that hand. I see that hand. Guys, can you just turn the lights up just a hair so I can see? Just not much. Just turn just a little bit. You can put that hand back down. You're, you can put the hand on. Thank you. You, you. You're here today, and you've you know you've accepted Christ, but it's been a long time, and you've drifted, and maybe you're like Lecrae was. You know, you spent a year. I've known people that have spent many years, many years trying to walk the fence, inside, one foot in, one foot out. God's speaking to you today. He loves you so much. He loves you so much, and so much of the hardness and the challenges of life are a direct result. To, of your choice. And God wants you to know today that he's here for you. He loves you. He's calling you back home. Like that prodigal child that left, the father was waiting. And the father's waiting for you today. And you know today you need to get it right with God. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Right now, come on, raise your hand all across this room. God's working in people's hearts and lives. You can put your hand down this morning. You're a believer today, and you got some stuff. You came to the right place today. In just a moment, Pastor Glenn is going to come, and he's going to close out this service. And, but I want you to know today that God cares, and we are all going to pray together. We're all going to pray together. And I would, have, I would ask that everyone would stand with me as we say this prayer together. If you could all just stand right now. And it's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of surrender to the Lord. I want everyone to repeat after me. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus I surrender my life to you. I, surrender my life I admit today, I admit today that, I'm powerless that I'm powerless and I cannot control my own life. I confess that I need you. I believe, Lord Jesus, I believe, Lord that not Jesus. only did you die on the cross, but you rose from the grave, but you rose from the grave just, for me. just for me. I'm making a decision. To allow your spirit to come into my life 
and to roll that stone away. Jesus, I surrender to you. My whole life, to the best of my ability, in your name, amen.